Hello and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast for Friday, November 22nd. I am your host, Ian McLaren, and we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every single day. This is the 40th episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, and it's fitting that Tuka Rask made uh, one of the best saves of his career in last night's win over the Buffalo Sabres, and we'll discuss that a bit more in detail later on coming up. I will also recap the game that was and take a look ahead at Saturday's game against the Minnesota Wild and take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL as we do every day. Uh, Before we get into that, just want to remind you that you can follow the podcast on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. I can be found at ENC McLaren. And I'd also encourage you to please download Listen, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Also, please tell your Bruins-loving friends and family members about the Locked on Boston Bruins podcast and that we have fresh black and gold content every single day. Before we begin, I just wanted to remind you that you can treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, Locked On Boston Bruins listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. The big story from last night's game, as I mentioned, was the play of Tuka Rask. Not only did he keep the team in the game early on when they were badly outshot, he made uh, arguably, yeah, one of the best saves of his career, one of the best saves that I've ever seen uh, in the third period. The Bruins were ahead 3-1 at the time, uh, killing a penalty, and the Bruins were scrambling as the Sabres were buzzing around the Bruins' net. Rask was able to make a save off uh, forward Connor Sheary with the butt end of his stick, but then he lost uh, said stick in a net front scramble, trickled out towards Evan Rodriguez, who pounced on it and directed a wrist shot at what seemed like a wide-open net, but Rask's lightning-fast reflexes, uh, he lunged to his right, fully extended, snagged the puck with his blocker side palm. So... um, Yeah, just an incredible save, a sort of dangerous save if you think about it, as he could have easily broken a finger or two, uh, but it seems as though he escaped unscathed, and it was just uh, a stunning save, and uh, one that kept the Bruins up by two at the time, and considering they won 3-2, it was pretty much a game saver. Rask, of that save, he said, I was tracking it. I'm not making a reactionary save at that point. It's just you're in a scramble mode, and luckily I was in position where I could throw myself in there. That's one that sometimes it hits you and sometimes it doesn't. I don't think I've made a save like that with my blocker, so that was great. I personally don't recall seeing a save like that in my years of watching hockey. Um, And it harkened back to the days of Tim Thomas and Sabres goalie Dominic Hasek, who we're both known for those kind of acrobatic crazy saves. Even Bruce Cassidy acknowledged as much when he said, you kind of don't know what happened there, to be honest with you. It was a Dominic Hasek save 
for you guys, young people out there, he was an old goalie in the league, very acrobatic, <laughs> kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, that's what it was. I think everyone does get up and realize that we should have been scored on. We really should have. It gives you a boost. Saves are part of that, and it sure did for us. Um, Rask went on to say, I don't make highlights too often like that because I try to be in position to make saves. It's fun to make a save like that. It's just one of those instinct saves. You're tracking it, and when you see that you've got to do something, it hits you. Um, you know, the Bruins were badly outshot to begin this game. The I think at one point the shots were 14-1. to They were outshot 17-4 in uh, the first period, but somehow emerged uh, from that with the game tied at one on uh, Brad Marchand tip off as the Daniel Chara slap shot. Uh, the Bruins were able to outshoot the Sabres uh, 14-7 in the second period and went ahead thanks to a goal by Brad Marchand. And then David Pasternak scored his 20th on the power play early in the third period to give the Bruins uh, a lead that they would not relinquish. Overall, the Bruins were outshot uh, 38-27, and Rask was the big... Um, the big story of the night, really keeping his team in the game. There was a lot of talk after the game comparing the save to one that was made by Marc-Andre Fleury a couple nights ago uh, in a Vegas win over the Maple Leafs, which coincidentally turned out to be Mike Babcock's last game behind the Maple Leafs bench. Uh, Marchand said Rask was better. He may be a little biased, of course. He admitted Tukes is my boy. Um, but... Pasternak said it was unbelievable. I was really excited on the bench. I stood up and it was awesome. When you see him in the gym, how flexible it is, it doesn't surprise me. It was a big save. It's going to be a tight race with Marc-Andre Fleury as to who wins the save of the year, barring any future candidates. Um, the Sabres have really been struggling in recent games, and full credit to them. They came out guns blazing and uh, probably should have deserved a better fate in this one uh, considering how much they outplayed the Bruins in uh, the first period. Uh, Boston's best players stepped up on this night uh, with uh, yeah, Marchand getting a pair, Pasternak scoring, and Rask coming up big in net with uh, the 36 save performance. Further to that, the Sabres had a 69-44 advantage in shot attempts in all situations. That's a 61% to 39% advantage. In 5-on-5 five five play, that's 56-34 uh, to 34 with a 62-38% to 38% advantage. So for the second straight game, the Bruins were kind of outplayed, uh, but they emerged uh, with the win uh, thanks to those players. Pasternak, of course, is the first player in the NHL this season to reach 20 goals. Uh, I believe he's the first Bruin since Cam Neely in 1993-94 to achieve that feat. And he remains on pace for just a ridiculous 70-something uh, goals at this point. Um, he's four up on Dreisaitl and McDavid for the lead in goals. Marchand, Austin Matthews, and Alex Ovechkin all have... Uh, 15 apiece as well. In terms of goal goaltending stats, Tuka Rask 
is now uh, fourth with a 931 save percentage. Uh, he's, uh, let's see, leads, he's one back of uh, Brayden Holby and Marc-Andre Fleury and Jordan Bennington for the league lead in wins. And he also has uh, a share of the league lead in shutouts with two. So he's well in the Vesna Trophy conversation right now. And I really believe um, he'll remain in that discussion uh, throughout the season thanks to the benefit of having um, Yaroslav Halak there to uh, spot him from time to time to give him the rest he needs to uh, succeed throughout the remainder of the season. A couple notes from practice before we move on to my chat with Paul Campbell uh, here on Friday. Uh, Bruce Cassidy updated some Bruins injury news and notes. Uh, Tori Krug is probable for Saturday's game against the Wild, which is great news. Uh, Patrice Bergeron had a maintenance day on Friday, did not practice, but he was able to return last night, and uh, I would expect that he'll be back in the lineup Saturday. Uh, barring uh, any further setbacks, he saw 18 minutes, 16 seconds of ice time and recorded an assist with four shots on goal. So good to see him back in the lineup, of course. Um, what else? Par Lindholm, he was cut during last night's game and had to receive 18 stitches. He's not ruled out for Saturday's game, but obviously that's a tender uh, area for him. Brett Ritchie. Feeling much better. He's going through an ongoing issue with an infection, uh, but he could play tomorrow as well. John Moore skated in full contact jersey, still a couple weeks out, and Kevin Miller suffered a little setback, uh, but they're being and they're being extra cautious with him. So slowly but surely, the Bruins are uh, getting healthier, and uh, it would be awesome to see Tory Krug back in the lineup Saturday. Matt Grizzlick has been exceptional in his absence and uh, being able to deploy him on a third pairing uh, would be advantageous as well. I think, uh, you know, people say, oh, Grizzlick played well. Trey Krug, Trey Grizzlick, that's that's pretty stupid in my opinion. Uh, keep them both around for now and just enjoy. Um, yeah, enjoy having that depth on the blue line for now. Coming up here in a moment, we're going. I'm going to be talking to uh, Paul Campbell. He is uh, a local a goalie guru based here in Guelph, and we'll talk about the save that was and uh, why Bruins fans should relish the fact that Rask is our goalie. I'm joined now by uh, Paul Campbell. Uh, you can find him at on Twitter at way to go Paul. Uh, he's a writer for Ingle Media. He's also a contributor for Sportsnet and the Athletic NHL. And I wanted to have uh, Paul on today because he is a uh, a goalie aficionado. And uh, based on the save that Tukumet Rask made last night against the Buffalo Sabers, want to just break that down a little bit and also um, just talk about Tuka Rask's uh, greatness in general. Since today is the 40th episode of the uh, Locked on Boston Bruins podcast, so I thought it would be appropriate to have some Tuka Rask appreciation today as well. So uh, thanks for joining me, Paul. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ian. Hope all's well. Yes, just going well. Thanks. Um, so yeah, I know 
the Tugarask save is kind of the uh, big highlight that was going around on Twitter last night. I'm sure you got a chance to see it. And I'm just wondering if you could um, kind of break down how difficult that save was and what made it so special. Uh, for those who didn't see it, uh, Tuka had uh, his stick knocked away and he was able to make a untraditional glove save, if you will, kind of trapping the puck with his blocker hand, um, which I'm sure his hand kind of hurts today. But yeah, just talk about that save and, and uh, how difficult it was and, and how good it was. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's really remarkable. It's really rare. Although, uh, as soon as it happened, people were reposting, and I follow a lot of goalies, and a lot of goalies were saying, yeah, I'm currently suffering from a broken finger because I did the same thing. Um, right. Now, it's easier to break your finger when you're still holding your stick, so at least he got rid of that. And he seemed to get it clean in the palm. However, kids, don't do this at home. Uh, do not <laughs> do this. It's a recipe for breaking, bruising, uh, all kinds of terrible things. But... Uh, when you're in the NHL, sometimes you do what you need to do, and Tuka did it. The, the way the play evolved, uh, there was a shot from the point through a screen. Uh, the puck sort of wrecked on the on the uh, opposing player in front, the, the Buffalo player in front. And what ended up happening is uh, Tuka was down, and then McAvoy ended up getting on the butt end of his stick. So Tuka was down in a butterfly, sort of paddled down. McAvoy fell on a stick trying to help on the right. butt end. So Tuka could not get across. He couldn't move. He was basically stuck there because the stick was being pinned down. The puck came out to his right. As soon as the puck came out, you could, if you watch the replay, it's really clear and excellent, actually, if you're, a, if you're a goalie guy, because he never loses sight of the puck. He's always on it, even though he can't move toward it. And as soon as the puck comes out to his right and the shot's about ready to be taken, Rask realizes the only thing he can do is to release his stick because it's still being pinned down and stretch out with the blocker. That's exactly what he does. He reaches back. And what's most remarkable, I've never seen this before, uh, certainly not at this level, he catches or almost catches the puck. So it lands right. clean in his blocker palm, uh, and he squeezes it, and he can't quite um, like hold on to it, but he at least gets it underneath him so that the, the puck is in danger. Yeah, I don't think I've quite – I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in the game. Do you recall seeing a save like that at the NHL level before? Um, it's happened. I don't remember. I, not offhand. I don't remember a specific instance, but I have seen. I do remember seeing goalies. Um, uh, you know, it's a thing that happens, but it's so rare. Uh, and often goalies attempt it, or not often, but sometimes goalies attempt it and miss. Or um, what happens happens more often. Goalies end up reaching back with their blocker hand. This happened more in the 80s and 90s, and they turn the uh, wrist out, so it ends up hitting them sort of on the bottom of the blocker or on the hand or in the paddle. But uh. I don't remember anything this clean and uh, I don't remember anything this sort of remarkable uh, at that right. level. Now, for whatever reason, Tugarask is often maligned by uh, Bruins fans. They remember <laughs> some soft goals that he gave up here and there, or a, a few years ago, they were fighting for a playoff spot and he was sick and couldn't play in the final game of the regular season. Um, and even last night after that save, I saw people say, well, he didn't win the cup last year, kind of irrelevant arguments like that, but um, kind of discounting the fact that Boston probably isn't in the final if it weren't for him last year. And he would have been the clear con Smythe winner in my mind, if they had one um, for those people, or just for maybe Bruins fans who don't appreciate what, what they have in Tukaras, Can you just explain 
kind of what has made him so great over the years? Yeah, there are goalies indebted in a few markets, and I think one of the least deserved is Boston. I, I, I see it all the time. Uh, I don't follow a ton of Bruins fans and, and media. I, I follow some. But the amount of uh, hate that Tuka gets is totally disproportionate to his performance. Uh, mm-hmm. I think one thing, um, one thing that, that's happened throughout his career, uh, Boston fans have been blessed with excellent goalies. I mean, imagine having Tim Thomas as your starter and Rask as your backup. I mean, I mean yeah. for years, uh, that was uh, an incredible luxury. And now, uh, uh, with Halak, Boston has one of the best, if not the best, tandem for my money in, in the entire NHL. And totally. so Rask has always been maligned, I think, because there's always been someone behind him. we almost always been someone behind him that's very capable. Uh, and that fans can turn to and say, well, you know, Rask isn't performing. Let, let's get this guy in. This guy's excellent. Uh, so I think that's one reason. But people underestimate how good for how long Tooth has been. Uh, and something that I've always loved about Rask, uh, he's always had an elite level of performance. And that's undeniable. If you look at his stats, if you look at his high danger save percentage, if you look at his, his raw save percentage, if you look at just his, his, his success, his resume success, it's undeniable that this guy is elite. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things that I love about Tuca that actually sets him apart from other goalies uh, are some of his movement patterns. Uh, if you're watching Tuca, he doesn't move around like a like every goalie. Uh, there's, there's sort of a an opinion that, uh, that goaltenders go about playing the game now. I don't think that's true, but it's even less true for Rask than others. Uh, the way that he plays on his post, uh, he gets his feet inside the post instead of skate laid on, on the on the post of his toe. And okay. you want watch him bouncing back and forth uh, when the puck's behind the net. Something similar happens um, even when he's out uh, in the fucking front of the net. So oh, when when a shot the rush is coming down, if you watch him move uh, from side to side, if you watch him move from one face up dot to the other when the puck's at the point, Brass doesn't move like a lot of other goalies. A lot of other goalies will do a T push or they'll do some compact shuffles. Uh, watch Rask next time uh, he's playing. You'll see him do something like almost a hop step, um, or like a almost like a bouncy jaunty step uh, to move from one side to the other. And that enables him to sort of um, have a little bit of a push before he loads up into an even bigger push when he needs it. Uh, and this kind of movement, which is different from other goalies, enables him to be even more explosive uh, when he needs to get across laterally, which is one of his great strengths. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the. Uh the NHL leaderboard right now. And he's, you know, top five in every meaningful goalie category at this point, and seems to be in line for at least some Vesna trophy um, consideration at the end of the season. I think you hit on a key point with, with the uh, Halak being there, the Bruins. I've been talking about this a lot on the, on the podcast this year, just about the, the luxury that the Bruins have of being able to um, rest Tuka and put Halak in there, and there's not really a huge drop off in terms of performance. Um, how important do you think that is in today's NHL to have that kind of um, starting level backup? And what kind of advantage does that have over teams that are relying, um, say, like the Maple Leafs, who are relying on maybe an AHL caliber guy in in net to to spot off Frederick Anderson? What's what's the benefit of that? long-term for, for a team like the Bruins? Well, if you think about um, if you think about some division rivals, right? you talked about the Leafs and, and the Canadians as well. They've been looking for a backup solution for some time. What ends up happening, 
uh, people complained about this in Toronto last year. Um, so Anderson's great. He plays maybe too many games. The backup can't be trusted. Uh, and then you get into a long playoff run. You're playing your starter every night. And right. it starts to catch up. Boston doesn't have that to worry about. Last year, um, Black outperformed Rask, uh, but, you know, by a very small amount uh, throughout the season. Rask went down for injury briefly, and when he did, Halak stepped in, and there, was, there wasn't a ripple, right? The team just continued as it had. Um, right. And so that's an incredible advantage. You're throwing away standings points. Now, I mean, last year, the Canadians are another example. Um, they had to play Price in order to, um, you know, even try to make the playoffs last year, right? Uh, and they ended up finishing a point into the playoffs. Well, right. if you have um, a capable or very strong backup goaltender, you're not tossing away those points. You're not overtaxing your starter. Uh, and I think that's something that Boston, uh, I, I mean, what, whatever you need to pay these two guys to keep them both, uh, as long as you want to contend for a cup, you, you pay them. Because uh, in, in the NHL these days, you cannot play a guy 75 games. Even 70 games hasn't happened, right, in the last couple of seasons. You need to rest your starter. You need to um, have, have goalie depth. And you can't afford to throw away points because parity in the league is so strong that if you think on that, back end of a back-to-back, you're just going to, well, whatever. If we have to play a backup, we have to play him and, and lose that point or those two points. Uh, that could be the difference between making the playoffs and not. So I think sure. it's a tremendous advantage for Boston, and uh, whatever they need to do to keep it up, they need to keep it up. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks so much for, for taking some time to chat today. Paul, hopefully this uh, is illuminating for some Bruins fans out there, and uh, we can be, really begin to appreciate Rask. Like you mentioned, we've been kind of spoiled with going from Thomas to Rask and then having Halak and Nett. Uh, who knows what the future holds for this team, but I think we should really enjoy the fact that we have this kind of goaltending while it's around. And, and I think this has been really helpful to, to kind of reinforce that. So thanks a lot, man. And uh, again, where can people find, uh, find you on Twitter and where can people find uh, your, your writing? Well, um, uh, way to go, Paul at way to go. Paul is my Twitter handle. So I'm there all the time. And that links to everything uh, in goal media is, uh, another place, Ingo Magazine is a website. I write, I write for them, and we're coming up with something really big on December 1st. Oh, cool. uh, so keep an eye out for that. Will do. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. Great. Thanks a lot, Ian. Yeah, thank you. And as we do every day, let's take a look at stories from around the NHL here on this Friday. Uh, the New York Islanders extended their point streak to a franchise record at 16 games with a 4-3 overtime win over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brock Nelson scored twice, and uh, his OT winner was a thing of beauty. Uh, so the Islanders continue to defy the underlying numbers and uh, just, yeah, killing it these days. Uh, still back of the Washington Capitals atop the uh, Metropolitan division standings there's three points back with uh four games in hand and they are now second to the bruins in terms of goal differential at plus 18 uh the bruins are now plus 22 after last night's win over the sabers the toronto maple leafs picked up their first win under new head coach sheldon keefe uh so that was obviously a uh, big Step forward for them after reeling under Babcock for the last several games. Uh, he's now signed, Keith, that is, through 2022. Uh, Tyson Berry picked up his first goal for the Maple Leafs in the win. 
and uh, they certainly did look like a rejuvenated squad um, and or a team that clearly had quit on Babcock. Um, you can frame it either way. Uh, the Florida Panthers pulled off a similar feat to what they did against the Bruins last week, that being erasing a four-goal lead uh, against the Anaheim Ducks and rallying to win uh, in overtime. The Panthers are now fourth in the Eastern Conference, uh, four points behind the uh, Bruins for their Atlantic Division lead, and all this with Sergei Bobrovsky still rocking an 886 save percentage. Uh, I've been telling you guys all season long to watch out for the Panthers. If they can get uh, average goaltending from Bobrovsky, this team could be a force to be reckoned with. I, I truly believe that. And um, the fact that they, yeah, have gone through these comebacks, they're resilient, and uh, they're now sixth overall in the NHL as well. Uh, like I said, four points back of the Bruins uh, with uh, both having played 22 games. Um, so keep an eye on them, I'm telling you. Um, swear among uh, opponents relevant to the uh, Bruins, the Lightning beat the Chicago Blackhawks, but Steven Stamkos left the game with a lower body injury. Nikita Kucherov was sidelined with an upper body injury. So obviously those would be significant losses if they miss any more time. And uh, one of the guys that I've targeted as a trade uh, candidate for the Bruins is Tyler Toffoli of the Los Los Angeles Kings. He scored twice and had a three-point effort as the Kings beat the Oilers 5-1. I was hoping that he'd stay a bit quieter so that uh, maybe the Bruins could get a better deal for him, but um, it's good to see him... Uh, performing up to expectations, and I truly believe he could be a great fit alongside DeBrusque and uh, David Krejci on the Bruins' second line. In the NHL rumor mill, uh, TSN Insider Trading aired on Thursday evening. Pierre Lebrun reported Mike Babcock wants to take some time to decompress following being fired by the Maple Leafs. He's owed $5.875 million annually in guaranteed money for the next three seasons from the Leafs, so there's not really uh, much rush for him to take on a new job. Uh, maybe the Seattle Blanks will come calling, uh, but there could be some jobs opening up in the near future, uh, including the Minnesota Wild, New Jersey Devils, San Jose Sharks, maybe even the Tampa Bay Lightning if they continue to struggle. Um, Darren Dreger added Sabres GM Jason Botterill has made offers for forwards. The trade market is not uh, too slick right now. So uh, we've said before they're looking to trade a defenseman to add a forward. We'll see if they're able to do that. Also, Eric Engels of Sportsnet uh, took to Twitter citing Elliot Friedman wondering if Canadians general manager Mark Bergevin will be willing to make a big move in this season's trade market. Uh, Engels speculated that there could be ties between uh, the Canadians and Taylor Hall as a playoff rental as the season goes on. Hall, of course, is slated to become an unrestricted free agent in July. Uh, They have 12 picks in next year's draft. They have a deep prospect pool. 
So it's possible. They also have a ton of cap space to use. Um, so that would be obviously huge for the Canadians if they're able to pick, uh, pick that up. Now with Toronto, uh, revitalized under Sheldon Keefe, the Atlantic division playoff race is only going to get tighter and more interesting. Uh, 11 points separate the Bruins in first and the Lightning in sixth. And the Ottawa Senators are actually only one point back of Tampa Bay, although Tampa Bay has three games in hand. Uh, So right now you have Boston first, 33 points. Florida in second with 29 points. Montreal third, 27 points. Toronto in fourth with 24 points. Buffalo in fifth with 23 points. And then Tampa Bay uh, behind them. If we look at the wild card situation right now, wild card spots are held by both Pennsylvania teams. And uh, the Maple Leafs are really hindered by the fact that they've played 24 games more than uh, anybody else in the East, apart from Washington and Detroit. Um, So despite the fact that they made this change at this point, I don't think uh, it's going to be an easy road for them. Right now it's Boston, Florida, Montreal, top three teams in the Atlantic. I would expect Boston to hold on to that and, and finish first. Uh, based on how things have been going, but uh, there's still a lot of hockey to be played, and uh, it's going to be really interesting uh, down the stretch to see how that all plays out. That's it for today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Thanks again to Paul Campbell for joining me. We are a daily Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, Thanks so much. I hope you all have a, a great weekend. Uh, I usually am running around taking my, my boys to hockey, but there's no hockey this weekend for them. Uh, so I'll have to find something else to do. Uh, my wife and I will probably be watching the morning show tonight on Apple TV, which is pretty good. I'm also currently rewatching the office, uh, watching Mr. Robot, which is coming to an end. This season has been fantastic. Um, and I'm also enjoying the new Coldplay album today, believe it or not. Maybe that's not cool in 2019, but such is life. And uh, I'm still the kind of person who likes that kind of music. (laughs) So don't hate me for that, please. Again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Please do tell anyone in your life who is a Bruins fan about the podcast. Uh, They can find Locked On, Boston Bruins, wherever they get podcasts. And we'll be back on Monday with episode 41. I'll be tweeting throughout the game against Minnesota at LO underscore Boston Ruins and at ENC McLaren. And please feel free to at me on there uh, with any comments, suggestions, or feedback about the podcast. Hope you all have a great weekend and I'll catch you on Monday. Take care, friends.